Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. You are about to listen to Classical Studies 101. We're going through the Odyssey. I'm just so excited about it. Such a great tale. We'll be doing Chapter 3 today. But first things first, if you would be so kind to leave us a lovely comment or a high rating on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to this, we'd really appreciate it. It helps get the word out, helps people find the podcast, and... Uh, all that good stuff. So, without further ado, let's get to it. And we can't get to it without our guide, our regular guide, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Thanks. Glad to be back. So, Gary, we are on Chapter 3 now. Um, what, uh, what do we have in store? Uh, start us off. Well, remember, uh, as we left off, and by the way, I, I have to say in every episode that Homer's Odyssey is the greatest, most influential action-adventure story ever written. I agree. I agree. I wish Hollywood took more cues from the Odyssey. I don't think they take, really, they, I don't think they quite learn enough from it. And as we uh, are discussing in our uh, other other series on uh, uh classical theme films, uh, there hasn't been a decent uh, film production of the Odyssey yet. I, I think they just have trouble, like we, we've talked about many times, they have trouble with the transcendent elements, the elements that bring it, bring the poetry alive, the elements like the gods and goddesses, the myth, the those things which are not just earthbound, because it seems like they take great pains to show you, to explain to you, simple viewer, why the Greeks put these characters in, when really what they should say is this story has lasted through the millennia, and let's go with it. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so we're at chapter three. Where were we? Where are okay. we now? How did we when get we, there? When we left off in our exciting uh, series last week, um, uh, Telemachus, uh, the son of uh, Odysseus, also called Telemachus, uh, pronounced Telemachus, um, uh, quote, sailed across the wine-dark sea. I love that uh, epithet, wine-dark sea. And uh, according to Homer, in a swift black uh, ship, uh, black apparently was a favorite color for uh, Homeric ships. And he uh, mm -hmm. ends uh, chapter two by saying, and the ship went plunging all night long and through the dawn. Well, actually, knowing the geography there, uh, where I think uh, Ithaca, the home island of Odysseus and his palace, is on Kefalonia Island, and not on the island they call Ithaca today, which doesn't match Homer's description in, in the uh, Odyssey, as we'll get to in Chapter 9. Uh, so he would have to sail to the south uh, and slightly to the east to get down to uh, the Peloponnesus, 
because he's he's going to go down to the palace of old King Nestor. And so uh, apparently he sailed overnight, and it's not that far, by the way. I think it's only 150 miles. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, this is, this, is, oh, this, this is Odysseus' son you're talking about. Now. Yes. Okay, right. And he's sailing because the goddess Athena told him to go to King Nestor uh, to um, try to find or find word about where his father might be or if his father is dead or not. And just to remind everyone, Athena is the matron or patron, but I'm matron as I prefer, of Odysseus and cares about him as a hero and is trying to facilitate you know, when last we left, we, uh, Penelope, Odysseus' wife, was being besieged by a, just a, a throng of suitors, overrunning her, her home, eating her out of house and home, and, of course, trying to have their way with her, trying to get her hand in marriage. Right. So Athena is stepping in to get the son to go look for a word of him so they'll keep faith and not give in because Penelope is almost ready to give in. It's, you know, we're going on 20 years as we go through this story. Uh, that Odysseus has been away. And as we said last time, uh, I think one reason, I was trying to think of why Athena was sending him off on this trip when she knows that Odysseus is alive and is on his way home. And I think it's to protect Telemachus from the suitors who are thinking about killing him. Because in essence, if Odysseus uh, dies, then Telemachus would be next to, uh, you know, uh, be uh, the king, they'd be enthroned. Very good point, sure. I, so I think that's why. I never had anybody articulate that, but I think that's why. So anyhow, I'm going to read from, uh, as I, I've been doing, from uh, Robert Fagel's uh, translation of the Odyssey, 1996 translation. And his title for the chapter three is King Nestor Remembers. And so, uh, you know, as it opens, I'm going to read a lot of it because um, – you know, it's, it's just a wonderful translation. As the sun sprang up, leaving the brilliant waters in its wake, climbing the bronze sky to shower light on immortal gods and mortal men across the plowland, plowlands ripe with grain, the ship, meaning Telemachus's ship, pulled into Pylos or Pylos, the storied citadel. And so what he's, he just happens to come upon a, a ceremony where they're sacrificing to uh, Poseidon. And so there's a huge throng of people on the beach. And so he goes on to say, where people line the beaches, sacrificing sleek black bulls to Poseidon, god of the sea, blue mane. In other words, uh, Poseidon's hair is blue. I depict him as, as that in a, in a painting I did for the Odyssey, in my Odyssey poem, whenever I get that published. Well, he'd be perfectly hip right now. That's all the rage, blue hair. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And the god who shakes the earth, because Poseidon was the god of earthquakes, because every time we have an earthquake in California now, you can say that's Poseidon. And every time you see a lightning in the sky, that's that's Zeus throwing his lightning bolts. Poseidon's a really interesting, uh, really interesting god, so... You know, he has horses, earthquakes, and the sea. Yes. Those are three real iconic aspects of life yeah absolutely uh and and get this uh my sacred symbolic number system is imbued in this chapter because the translation says they meaning the people of of king nestor sat in nine divisions each 500 strong well five is important it's half of the sacred number of 10 
and uh, ten, uh, you know, it took ten years for the Trojan War to occur, and ten years for Odysseus' voyage back home. So they're sacrificing; they're on the beach sacrificing to Poseidon. Yes. Well, uh, so apparently they have a big sacrifice going on when Telemachus uh, happens to arrive, and then Athena, before he goes up to greet uh, Nestor and his people. She says, quote, Telemachus, no more shyness. This is not the time. We sailed the seas for this, for news of your father. Where does he lie buried? What fate did he meet? So go right up to Nestor, breaker of horses. We'll make him yield the secrets in his heart. Press him yourself to tell the whole truth. He'll never lie. The man is far too wise. And then the, you know, Telemachus replies to her, uh, how can I greet him, mentor, even approach the king? I, I'm hardly adept at subtle conversations. Someone my age might feel shy. What, what's more interrogating, an older man? And then she uh, really urges him, says, Telemachus, the bright-eyed goddess, reassured him, some of the words you will find within yourself, the rest some power will inspire you to say. I know why you're born and reared without the gods' goodwill. So anyhow, Palestina sped away, and he followed in her footsteps. In other words, she's walking up to Nestor and everything. Right. And then it says, there sat Nestor among his sons, his friends around them. Uh, were at the banquet. Roasting meats and skewered strips were broiling. As soon as they saw the strangers, all came crowding down, waving them on in welcome, urging them to sit. Nestor's own son, uh, Pisistratus or Pisistratus, who goes with Telemachus uh, later, as I'll explain, was the first mm -hmm. to reach them. He grasped her hands. So in other words, they had handshakes, the ancient Greeks. I'm not sure other cultures did that, but the ancient Greeks depict themselves shaking hands. I think that's great. And he sat them down on fleecy throws uh, on the beach and poured them wine and golden cup and so on. And... Um, and, and he gives a cup to Athena first instead of to Telemachus. And um, and uh, she was very impressed with that, you know, that he somehow, you know, gave her preference, okay? And, uh, and giving the golden wine cup to her, first to her, and once she prayed, meaning Athena prayed as his mentor to uh, Poseidon, Hear me, sea lord, who embrace the earth. Don't deny our wishes. Bring our prayers to pass. First then to Nestor and all his sons grant glory. Then to all these uh, Pylians, Pylians for their splendid rights, grant a reward that warms their gracious hearts. And last, Poseidon, grant Telemachus and myself safe passage home with the mission accomplished that sped us here in our rapid black ship. So then uh, she uh, offers a two-handled cup to Telemachus and so on, and they uh, so they toast and so on with a royal feast of food and drink. Now, what's interesting, in, in ancient Bronze Age Greece, when strangers come to your uh, to a place like that or to your palace, you don't ask their name. You welcome them in, you give them food and drink, you know, you wine and dine them, and only after, you know, Quite a bit of time. Do you finally ask who they are and why they're there? And, do you know uh, the reason for that system? Is it, it just is, to show that you're welcoming they entirely? Replaced, they placed a high regard in what they called 
proper good hospitality, and the, and the, the word for it is zenia. And uh, so it's interesting that uh, Homer uh, has this zenia in 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 the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so finally, uh, you know, Nestor, the noble charioteer, uh, finally says, uh, "Now's the time. Now you enjoyed your meal. Uh, the time to probe our guests to find out who they are, strangers, friends. Who are you? Where did you sail from? Over the running sea lanes." Are you out on a trading spree or roving the waves like pirates, sea wolves raiding at will to plunder other men? And then it says, Telemachus answered, uh, filled with uh, Athena, inspired by Athena, and so on. And so he says, Nestor, son of Neleus, Achaeus, meaning Greece's pride and glory. We are from, where we are from, you ask? I will tell you, we hail from Ithaca. Our mission here is personal, nothing public now. I'm on the trail my father's widespread fame, searching the earth to catch some news of great-hearted King Odysseus, who they say fought with you to demolish Troy some years ago, and so on. So he's, he's asking him for a word of his father. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've come here to plead before you now. If you can tell me about his cruel death, you know, Perhaps you saw him die with your own eyes or heard the wanderers uh, in from someone else. Don't soften a thing from pity. Respect for me. Tell me clearly. I beg you. And so, um, anyhow, Nestor the noble charioteer replies at length, Ah, dear boy, since you called back such memories, such living hell we endured in distant Troy, we headstrong fighters, forces of Achaea. So many raids above from our shipboard down the foggy sea, cruising for plunder, wherever Achilles led the way. So many battles round King Prime's wall we fought, so many gone, our best and bravest fell. There Ajax lies, the great man of war, there lies Achilles too. There Patroclus, skilled as the gods in council, and there my own dear son, both strong and staunch. In other words, Nestor's own son, Antilochus, was killed at Troy. Um, so anyhow, nine years, I mentioned that sacred number nine again, mm-hmm. we wove a web of disaster for those Trojans, pressing them hard with every tactic known to man. And no one there could hope to rival Odysseus, not for sure cunning, and so on. And and uh, so he just talks about how they tried to take the uh, King Prime city and so on. Uh, and... Uh, and and uh, you know try try to uh, defeat the uh, the Trojans, and so, so he's, anyhow he's he's giving the uh, he's really just kind of giving them uh, telling them the the tale of what had transpired. You know he's he's filling him in on what his father's the father's heat of his father and his father's comrades. Yes, and uh, so anyhow uh, he goes on to say. Uh, Odysseus did sail them back, meaning his his uh, warriors, the wily king, uh, and uh, massing the ships that came in his flotilla and my flotilla. I sped away as the gods' mischief kept on brewing. And he talks about Diomedes. You know, you like Diomedes uh, also. And red-haired Menelaus uh, joined us. 
In other words, he's talking about uh, they all sailed home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he mentions uh, Ebia. They, it's pronounced E-U-B-O-E-A, but it's pronounced Ebia uh, by the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he says, and so, dear boy, I made it home from Troy in total ignorance, knowing nothing of their fates. Uh, and uh, who escaped with their lives and who went down. But still, uh, all I've gathered is by hearsay, and so on. They say the Myrmidons, who are the warriors of Achilles, um, traveled home unharmed, and so on. So he talks about uh, uh, Idomeneus, who is the king of Crete. Uh, he made it back to Crete, and so on. Uh, but then he talks about Agamemnon, and he talks about how uh, Agamemnon, if you remember, on the way to Troy, they were they were at uh, this uh, uh, place where the the Greek fleet embarked from Greece to sail to Troy. And uh, but because you know he upset uh, the goddess uh, Artemis, I believe, remember. Um, she wouldn't let them sail to Troy. You know, the, she blew winds against them. Mm-hmm. And the only way she would relent, get this, is Agamemnon had to sacrifice his own daughter, Iphigenia. And he did it so that, because he's so hell-bent on destroying Troy. And, of That's course, a, that was horrible. Ho- yeah, horrible and shocking. And his wife, Clytemestra, never forgave him. So she starts having a love affair um, with, uh, uh, you know, another nobleman or so-called uh, nobleman. Um, his name is Aegisthus, A-E-G-I-S-T-H-U-S, or Aegisthus probably. And so what happens, they plot the death of Agamemnon, and when he gets back to his palace and, and uh, Mycenae, uh, he's taking a bath in his bathtub, and they actually had bathtubs. I thought that was interesting. You can see bathtubs at uh, King Nestor's palace at uh, Pylos today. They're made out of terracotta. Mm-hmm. And they look like a modern bathtub. It's really interesting. Uh, they're not rectilinear. I mean, they're kind of curved and everything on the ends, you know. And so you can picture uh, Agamemnon in that bathtub. And so he, uh, uh, he gets to stabs him with a knife and kills him. And so not all the uh, heroes of Troy made it back alive and so on. It, the, the numbers, I mean, you can just from his description of Achilles being buried there and Ajax being buried there, I mean, you just, it's, it's war as we understand it and as, it, as it's always been. You know, it's just there, it's the, the lives that are lost. But he mentions just, that uh, red-haired Menelaus and Helen made it back, you know, to mm-hmm. Sparta. Yeah, and there's there's different myths about that, right? There's different legends about. You know, yeah, but I'm just when, saying the, yeah, you know, the way yeah. uh, the Odyssey presents it. The way Homer presents it, certainly. Yeah, and uh, so then, um, uh, and and then uh, Nestor tells Telemachus he's heard that his palace has been taken over by quote a mob of suitors. They say beset your mother and your own house against your will and plot your ruin and so on. Um. And so, uh, anyhow, uh, you know, he uh, is very sympathetic, you know, to uh, 
the young Telemachus. And so, um, uh, so he's, he's urging him uh, to go on, and uh, but Telemachus wants to you know go to Sparta to see if uh, Menelaus has any word of, of his father, you know, and uh, and so he's good with that. And so he says, uh, I advise you, urge you to visit Menelaus. He's back from abroad at last. And uh, so he says, um, you might abandon hope of ever returning home once the winds have driven you off the far coast, but uh, I still urge you on. And so so off you go with your ships and shipmates now. Or, and, or then he says, or if you'd rather go by land, I have a team of, and chariot for you. And my son's at your service, too. And so uh, they, uh, you know, Telemachus uh, agrees to that. And um, and uh, so they uh, they pour a libation out to Poseidon, uh, wine, you know, and uh, that's what the Greeks did. They pour libations uh, from their cup, uh, cup, uh, cup of wine uh, on, onto the ground. And, and then it says, Athena and Prince Telemachus both started up to head for their ship at once, but Nestor held them there. Uh, you know, he says, uh, basically, don't resort to your ship uh, without uh, gifts. And so you, he wants to give them gifts. And uh, he wants to give them blankets and fine rugs and, and so on, you know. It's a very charitable culture, uh, it seems like. And maybe that's just something where we were closer to the early days of tribes and civilizations. That sort of thing is very, very important because you want to make sure someone has safe passage and you give them their blankets and things like that. So yeah, that's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, That's part of Zania, that you give gifts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as, as part of this welcoming, uh, you know, ritual thing, you know. Well, I mean, I think that for human beings, that would be a way of uh, mutual assurance because in, a, in that era, in the, the world they lived in, was a harsher world. You were closer to nature. So you want to welcome people. You need that welcoming from strangers from time to time. So having that as part of your culture hopes, helps your culture thrive, I would think. So that certainly seems like it. And then, of course, the, the gift you give as they leave is they're you know, wishing them safe passage. So uh, it's 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 nice to hear because it's a it's a very empathetic kind of behavior. And uh, so, King Nestor says, he says, "No, by God, the true son of my good friend Odysseus won't bed down on a ship's deck, not while I'm uh, alive, or my sons are left at home to host our guest. Whoever comes to our palace, newfound friends." In other words, he's saying that he's going to help him, uh, you know, get to. Uh, Sparta by land, which, uh, you know, is a bit of a distance, but still doable. And um, and then Athena responds to him, but remember, she's still disguised as this uh, human uh, mentor. And she says, dear old man, you're right. Athena exclaimed, her eyes brightening now. Telemachus should oblige you. Let him follow you now, sleep in your halls, but I'll go back to our trim black ship. Heart, uh, hearten the crew, give each man his orders. So she's going to take the ship back, you know, and went out to Lemachus. Um, and then get this, 
With that, the bright-eyed goddess winged away in an eagle's form and flight, so she transforms herself into an eagle. Amazement fell on all the uh, Achaeans or people there. The old king, astonished by what he had seen, he, he grasped Telemachus' hand and cried out to the prince, Dear boy, never feel. Fear you'll be a coward or defenseless. Not if at your young age the gods will grant you so. Of all who dwell on Olympus, this was none but she, Zeus's daughter, the glorious one, his third born. And three is another sacred number. And uh, so uh, he gives him another gift of a, a head of a bull with its uh, horn sheath and gold. And they found such an object at Mycenae, by the way, uh, uh, you know, a, a sculpture of a bull with uh, the horns mm-hmm. covered with gold leaf. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they go to his regal palace and he sits them down on uh, high back chairs and so on. And so he's going to uh, spend the night and he brings has his servants bring out a bed for him. And um, a corded bed, meaning made out of uh, leather cords. And then they put, you know, uh, you know, bed bed clothes, bed clothes on that so that he can sleep okay. And then uh, uh, in in the morning, you know, bright and early, um, uh, Pisistratus uh, joins with him, uh, and uh, they mount the chariot. You know, and uh, so then it ends by saying. Uh, when young dawn with her rose red fingers shone once more, they yoked. The pair of horses mounted to the blazoned car, and out through the gates and echoing colonnade, they whipped the team to run, and on they flew, holding nothing back. And the princes, because they're both princes, reached the wheat land, straining now for journey's end. So fast those purebred stallions raced them on, as the sun sank and the roads of the world grew dark. And that's the end of the chapter. Well, it's that's a... Really wonderful kind of setup. It's a chapter that sets us up for what's to come. Um, so that was chapter three of the Odyssey. Uh, I want to, of course, thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. It's fun as always. Yes, and we'll be continuing on with the Odyssey very soon. This has been the 34 Circe Salon the Parallax Channel. This is Classical Studies 101. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you for listening and God bless.